Okay, let's go. Luke chapter 4. Just so you know, this is the third step in Luke's four-part introduction to the ministry of Jesus. Already, if you remember, we've heard God the Father affirm that Jesus is his son. We've witnessed his spirit-filled victory over temptation. Next time, we're going to experience his authority over evil spirits and sickness. But today, we're going to get to hear Jesus' first recorded sermon in which he boldly declares his whole purpose in coming to earth. And as we'll see... It starts out really, 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 really well, and the crowd loves what it hears, and then it goes really, 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 really bad, and they're going to get extremely angry. Let's pick it up in verse 16. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Let's just pause there. Summarise what just happened. Jesus opens up the scroll. He reads a prophecy about the promised Messiah, closes it up again, and then he just goes and sits down. And everyone in the synagogue, they, they just kind of stare at him. I mean, is that it? Like, are you just going to read it? No, he'll expound it. Here we go. Verse 21. Then he began to speak to them. The script you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So he's in his hometown. He, he he grabs the scroll of Isaiah, opens it up, reads this messianic prophecy. Then he just sits down, waiting for everyone to stare at him. And then he goes, that's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. And here's where it gets interesting. In a moment, he's going to say, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. But verse 22 here shows a very different picture, at least initially. Everyone spoke well of him. Everyone was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? So there's there's something that's taking place here before Jesus experiences what it is for a prophet not to be accepted in his own hometown. Because right now, at this moment, at this point, there seems to be a whole lot of acceptance. That they're not going, oh, we don't have to listen to this guy. He's just a carpenter's son. That's not what's taking place in this text. They're saying, we know this guy's background, uh, and there's no way she better speak with such authority. This is just remarkable. This is amazing. This is in no way a slur on Jesus. Quite the opposite. They're pretty excited by the fact that Jesus just said, I'm the Messiah. Now, at this point, it helps to understand a little bit of Israel's history. Back in the very beginning, back in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says to him, promises to him, I'm going to make you into a great and mighty nation. And through this nation, I'm going to do something big that will touch every nation on earth. 
And so what ended up happening from that day forward as the nation of Israel grew and grew and grew first through slavery in Egypt then on into the promised land. As it grew and grew there was this ethnocentric pride that began to build in them. They were going to be the ones. They were the hope of the world. They were the chosen people. But if you read the Old Testament what happened is that this chosen people who remember are going to bless the whole world just keep getting conquered. And so God sent prophets to prophesy about a Messiah who was going to come and restore Israel to its rightful place. And so when Jesus says, I'm here now to fulfill this, here's what they're hearing. They're hearing Joseph's son is going to make those of us who are poor not poor anymore. And they're hearing, hey, Rome is oppressing us, but Jesus is going to make it so Rome doesn't oppress us any longer. That's why they're celebrating. We're not going to be poor anymore. Rome's going to be overthrown. Come on. Now here's where it's just going to go bad. Because so far, we're doing well, aren't we? I mean, Jesus the preacher absolutely killing it. He's reading the scroll, everyone's amazed, a whole load of celebration. But it's going to go horribly, horribly wrong. Here we go, verse 23. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your own hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I'll tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Think about it. Isn't that just a weird thing to say? Because up until this moment, they've got nothing but amazement and wonder for him. But watch, Jesus is about to tell two stories that are going to absolutely infuriate the crowd. And they're going to teach us something very, very important. Verse 25, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Just to explain, Jesus here is quoting a story out of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. Here's what he just said. He said, in a time when the entire region was in a severe famine, at a point in history where people were dying left, right and centre, God chose in his mercy to step in and save a needy widow. But she wasn't an Israelite. She was a Phoenician. It's like God has phenomenal love for those outside Israel, outside his own chosen people. And then Jesus reminds them of another story. This one's going to be out of two kings. Verse 27, he says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. So all of Israel, all of the surrounding area is in some kind of pandemic. Leprosy is spreading. And God chooses to show mercy through the prophet Elisha to a foreign king. Again, to someone outside Israel. So the crowds gather, listen to Jesus. They, they start off pretty amazed by him. They're celebrating going, finally, after all these years, the Messiah's here. And then Jesus goes on and says, okay, you're right, but let me quickly explain something. It's not going to look anything like you think it's going to look. Let's finish the text, verse 28. When they heard this, 
The people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, from this moment on, everything about how Jesus lives out his life, everything he says, everything he teaches, everything he does, shows that they completely misunderstood what the good news about the coming Messiah was really always about. I want to show you three ways that Jesus was different to what they expected. First of all, he was going to include people from all different ethnic backgrounds. Israel, being a chosen nation, should have brought humility to them. It should have resulted in them having immense compassion for the rest of the world. But instead, it brought arrogance and it brought disdain. They hated the Samaritans. They loathed the Phoenicians. They despised everyone around them. So now watch this. From this moment on, Jesus is going to lay into that whole way of thinking. He's going to attack that idea. I mean, think about the stories that Jesus told over and over and over again, as well as these two examples here in Luke chapter 4. There's the Good Samaritan. You know the story of the Good Samaritan? The Levite, the holy priest of Israel, sees this man beaten up, bleeding on the side of the road. Just passes him by. The priest comes by, sees the man beaten and bleeding. Just passes him by. Who's the hero of compassion in this story? The Samaritan, not the Jew, the Samaritan. You've got in Mark chapter 7, the Syrophoenician's daughter. Jesus heals her and says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Got the parable of the tenants in Matthew 21, where Jesus tells the story of a vineyard that's owned by a great king. And he sent his son to gather up the fruit from the vineyard. And when he got there, the workers rose up against the king's son and killed him. What will the king do? Jesus tells us what he's going to do. He's going to throw the workers out. He'll get new workers in that will reap the benefits of the fruit of his vineyard. Do I unpack that? Are you with me? It's like... Over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus is going to attack the ethnocentric view of the gospel that Israel possessed. Like, it's not just for you, and it's not just for one nation or one people group or one culture. I'm telling you, the death of ethnocentric religion occurred the second Christ was born. It's over. It's like each of our cultures gets to bring their own unique contribution to the celebration of who God is. I mean, have you ever wondered why the Old Testament is just crammed full with how worship is supposed to be? New Testament? Almost silent. There are just a couple of chapters I can think of that address worship. Why? Because it's a missionary handbook. It fits into any and every culture. There's some basic principles, but, but these can be worked out in a multitude of ways depending on the culture. Which means that the Chinese, they're going to bring something into the celebration of Christ that a bunch of Brummies ain't ever going to bring. And the Africans, they're going to bring something that we don't have. Rhythm for starters. I could go on and on and on. Jesus, well and truly, puts to death this whole idea that the Messiah was coming for one nation and one people group and one culture. The good news of the gospel is for all people. All the time. Jews thought he was coming to exalt Israel. But he ended up on a cross. 
dying for the nations. And it was very, very different than what they were expecting. Second, not only was Jesus going to include people from different ethnic backgrounds, he was also going to include people with dark pasts and current struggles. In Luke 15, Jesus is accused by the Pharisees of sitting and being the friend of tax collectors and sinners. People like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who was raising taxes to support a Roman army that had wiped out most of Israel. The woman at the well who had had five husbands and was currently exchanging sex for rent. A woman caught in adultery in John 8. They, they catch her in the axe, throw her at Jesus' feet. Jesus says to her, has no one condemned you? Well, neither do I. And what the accusation was? The law says we pelt her with rocks till she dies. What do you say? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Now, this is a massive departure from how Israel viewed the coming of the Messiah. Because the coming of the Messiah signified the death and destruction of those kinds of people. I mean, they were outside the kingdom. The God they believed in wasn't for these types of people. And who does Jesus come and sit with and eat with and walk with, preach to, encourage, heal? These people. And listen, when you are a rule follower and you've figured out precisely how to follow the rules well, the, the idea that God could love someone who doesn't follow the rules as well as you can, that can be the most agitating thing in the world. So it's very easy to slip into judgment on other people when you're a really good rule follower. Uh, you end up just dismissing any kind of preaching that says there is grace and there is mercy and there is love for those who don't follow the rules as well as you do. But Jesus is going, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Another occasion, the Pharisees just can't get why Jesus allowed a woman to wipe his feet with her hair. If, if you knew what kind of woman this was, I do know what kind of woman this is. When I walked into your house, Jesus says, you, you, you didn't give me any bowl to, to wash with. You, you didn't offer to wash my feet. It's like Jesus repeatedly shows favour, shows grace to people with very, very sinful backgrounds. And the religious people of his day aren't a massive fan of that idea. In fact, they want Jesus destroyed. How about you? How about you? Have you ever had anyone that you just didn't want God to forgive and extend grace to? I'll take that nervous silence as some kind of confirmation. We're, we're all like this. We're, we can be just as uncomfortable with the people that Jesus includes. So, not only is it going to be ethnically different than they thought, but it's going to include people with dark pasts and also current struggles. You know, one of my favourite Bible characters is Peter. It's like he perpetually stumbles between moments of sheer genius and moments of utter foolishness. And Peter's moment of revelation, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Blessed are you, Peter, but it won't be long before I've got to go and die. Oh, no, 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 that's never going to happen. Get behind me, Satan. 
Yet it was still on Peter that Jesus chose to build his church. Jesus hasn't just got time for people with dark pasts who have now figured out how to be perfect. He shows this consistent grace even to people in the middle of current struggles. You've got to get that in your head. One of my fears, specifically for those of us who have been around church a while, is we get to hear stacks of stories of people who speak of past difficulties that they now have freedom in. And we celebrate those stories. We love those stories. That's good and right. I think there also there's also a great need to be a celebration of I'm currently really struggling and yet I still know God is with me. Because if we're honest, isn't that where the majority of us are a lot of the time? And the good news is that, that Jesus came for people like us, people who not only have dark past but have very real struggles in the present. All the time. The Jews thought the Messiah was coming to get rid of those with dark pasts, to wipe out the, those with ongoing sin. They, they were proud of their adherence to the law. They looked down on people who weren't as holy as them. So you can kind of imagine their shock when Jesus reached out to the very people they despised. Once again, he, he's turning out very different to what they were expecting. Here's the third thing. Not only... Is he going to include people with dark pasts and current struggles? Not only is he going to include people regardless of their ethnicity, but Jesus was also way more interested in the heart than outward obedience. You see, in that day and age, much like it often is in the church today, in fact, that the mantra was, the law, the law, the law, the law. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, you've read in the law that you shouldn't commit adultery, but... I say, if you even look at a woman with lust, then you've committed the very same sin. And that's horrible. Because up until that point, I'm not guilty. It's like, you shall not commit adultery. No problem. Don't lust. Ah. Well, how about this one? You've heard it read in the law, don't kill anyone. <laughs> Everyone's going, yeah, I've never killed anyone. I'm doing great. God loves me. Jesus goes, okay, I get that. You do well with your little disciplined actions, but what's your heart asking you to do? Do you have anger towards others? Yeah. You're guilty. Or Jesus says to the Pharisees, you tithe well, but you neglect mercy and justice. Your external action, great. Your heart, sorry, not so great. I think we all struggle with this one. Don't just love your neighbour, but love your enemies. What? You see, I, I can love my neighbour. I mean, my next door neighbours, Peter and Anne, we're, we're great. I, I can love them, invite them over to dinner, take their rubbish out when it's snow all around, but don't ask me to love so-and-so. Yeah, that's right, I'll keep their name out of this one. <laughs> I don't want to love them. I, I want Elijah's power to call down fire, kind of... BAM! I mean, I want that. I've asked for that gift. And rightly, God hasn't given it to me yet. God says, I'm going to love my enemies. Like, are you serious? That those who harm me, those who talk evil of me, I, I, I've got to love them? 
That's who I'm supposed to love. You see, Jesus is just attacking the heart. He's going, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't about doing. This is about being. And to Israel, it was all about doing the law, the law, the law. Jesus goes, do the law all you want. Who are you? So Jesus is saying that with his coming, a radically new way of defining the people of God is being set into motion. It's no longer going to be defined by ethnicity. It's no longer going to be defined by your past or present struggles. It's not going to be defined by ability to observe the law. It's not about how good you are. It's going to be defined by faith in Christ alone. And faith in Jesus is going to trump ethnicity. It's going to trump past. It's going to trump present struggles. It's going to trump the weight of the law. And from Jesus' perspective... This was incredibly good news. The people listening to him in Galilee begged to differ. They were furious. So much so, they mobbed him and pushed him to the edge of a cliff with the sole intention of throwing him over the edge. Verse 30. He passed right through the crowd and went on his way. And they miss him tragic they don't get to live in the good of the gospel and here's my fear we could miss it too we could there's a very real danger that our expectations could be completely wrong and we could end up missing the point of what Jesus came to do listen All this isn't just for us. It's not just so we can have a nice meeting with our friends on a Sunday. Jesus has come for those who aren't here. He's come for those who are far off right now, those who feel excluded, whether it's because of race, background, appearance, sexuality, education, feelings of of deep shame because of their past. I I want you to be 100% clear on this. Church Central exists for people of every racial and social background. We're we're not satisfied being a white middle class church because Jesus came to break down every cultural divide. Also exists for sinners. We, We welcome people, whatever their background, whatever their current struggles. And we're not at least being interested in getting people to conform to a certain pattern of behaviour. No, 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 no. We're after heart change. We're convinced that a living, growing relationship with Jesus will result in changed behaviour, but it's motivated by grace. Not legalism. Not rules. Not law. So our job isn't to exclude or alienate people. It's not, not even enough saying that everyone's welcome. We're, we're to go out to them. We're to draw them in. We're to embrace them. We're to invite them into our home, include them, listen to them, learn from them, be family to them. And here's our message. It's actually the, the same one that Jesus proclaimed. Verse 18. First of all, there's good news for the poor. There is. Almost immediately after this, Jesus is going to teach, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the actual poor. Now, just to step back for a moment, you need to understand, Jesus isn't against the rich. I think when it comes to money, there there are actually four kinds of people, two kinds of rich, two kinds of poor. There are righteous rich, 
And there are unrighteous rich. The unrighteous rich, they steal, they cheat, they hoard, they don't give, they're not generous. By contrast, the righteous rich, they work hard and by God's grace, they have much and they're good stewards of it. They're generous, they tithe, they help the poor, they help those in need. Similarly, when it comes to those who are poor, that there are those who are unrighteous poor. Book of Proverbs in the Old Testament speaks of those who are sluggards and refuse to work, drunkards who won't stop drinking, fools who won't stop gambling, people who chase fantasies and get rich quick schemes and end up coming to ruin. That's unrighteous poor. Jesus here is speaking of the fourth category, those who are both righteous and poor. They're not poor because they've sinned. So they're the victims here. Through no fault of their own, they just find themselves with very, very little. The question is, for those who are righteous and poor, what does God have for them? Well, the good news is that there is complete equality in the sight of God through the person and work of Jesus. Rich and poor exist together in this wonderful new community that Jesus has made possible. So there shouldn't be any preference for those who are rich, neither should there be any mistreatment or neglect of those who are poor. You see, Christianity isn't built on an economic model where you get what you pay for. If Jesus is your God, he gives grace, he gives salvation, he gives love, he gives forgiveness of sins completely, equally and fully to all. We live in a world where pretty much you are what you drive or what you make or what you wear. And Jesus says, I have good news for the poor. I'm here to atone for your sins. I'm here to love you and be your God. You don't have riches, but now God's giving himself to you as the greatest gift of all. That's our message. That's why we've just launched our CAP Centre, Christians Against Poverty, our hardship fund, that the gospel compels us to go to the poor. There is good news for the poor. There just is. There's also liberty for the captives. Jesus here, if you think about it, was addressing a bunch of people who are held captive by legalism. It's as though the law had captured them. All they know is the law, the law, the law. They know nothing of a relationship or freedom or joy. They know only this rugged, disciplined, painful observance of religious rules. And I think Jesus is filled with sorrow for those people. He's saying... Here's why I came, to set you free. I think that's why in the parable of the prodigal son, it says that the father pleaded with the older brother who was outside and wouldn't enter into the celebration. He went out and pleaded with him, you're missing it, you're missing it, you're missing out here. You need to know, Jesus offers freedom for those held captive by empty religion, just joylessly trying to keep this never-ending set of rules. Of course, all kinds of other forms of captivity. For some of us, we're in slavery to drugs or alcohol or other people's opinion of us. For some of us, it's food or gambling or entertainment or just foolishness, high-risk behaviour, compulsive spending. These things are like slave masters that rule over us. They control our life. Uh, And the message we proclaim 
isn't that you just need to go away and modify your behavior, sort your life out. No, what you really need is salvation and the Spirit's power. And if you've experienced His grace and power at work in your life, then you're going to be so full of love and so overwhelmed with appreciation for Jesus that you're just naturally going to want to please Him with the way you live. And the good news is that His power is sufficient to set you free from anything and everything that holds you captive, that stops you living to please him. There is liberty for the captives. And then third, it's also sight for the blind. In a very real physical sense, Jesus literally brought sight to the blind. And he still does today. Jesus can and does heal. That's why we always try to give opportunity to pray for the sick whenever we gather together like this. We, we, We don't see people healed all the time, but we do see some remarkable miracles. So we keep on praying to the God who has power to give sight to the blind. He heals physically. He also heals spiritually. But people... Who are blind to the things of God. People who don't see the goodness of God in Christ. God opens their blind eyes. Just have interest. How many of you have had that experience? You didn't understand who Jesus was. You didn't know him. You didn't grasp the good news of why he came. But, but then he kind of opened your eyes to see it. How many of you? That's you. Many of us. Seeing... What God's already done among us has just got to stir our faith to keep believing for more eyes to be opened. There is sight for the blind. And then fourth, and finally, there's freedom for the oppressed. In context, the offer of liberty to the captives is for all those people who find their worth in religion and doing rather than in knowing Christ and being. And freedom for the oppressed is for people who have tried to do this and do this and do this, and they couldn't. And so they end up feeling like God could never love them because they just can't get it right. If that's you today, you need to know Jesus offers you very real freedom. Maybe you're oppressed in some other way. Uh, Over our three sites, we help so many people who have been sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused, spiritually abused. I mean, it's horrible what people live with. Time and time again, we see that Jesus really does have the power to set people free. As we draw to a close, one of the words that just continually rang in my ears as I was preparing for this sermon is this today Jesus began by saying to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your healing it's hearing it's not that you, you, you give your sins to Jesus someday when you feel like it no you give Jesus your sins today it's not that if you're sick and you need healing you have to work and work and work and work to earn the right to ask for healing no you can be healed today you, you don't determine that at some point in your future you will overcome your addiction and your pride and all those identity issues related to your sin or sins communicating. No, that day is today. 
you, you don't confess the deep, dark secrets in your life. Just someday when it gets so bad you, you can't cope any longer. No, that day is today. Don't go struggling for years before finally asking for help. There is help for you today. Another passage in the Bible where it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So as we close, I'm pleading with you. Please, don't harden your heart. Please, don't miss the opportunity to respond today. If you want to become a Christian, if you want healing, if you want to know freedom from things that have been oppressing you or holding you captive, if you need to repent and get right with God, please come forward.